26, Matthew chapter 26. Folks, you're making the way, and thank you for being here tonight. As folks are making their way, I want to introduce you to a couple of guests we have this evening. On my left-hand side, I want to welcome Caleb and Autumn Finley. And they're from the state of North Carolina, visiting out here in this area here. And you, we greet them, let them know you're glad they're here tonight. And then we want to welcome <coughs> Brother Bruce and Joanna White and their family that are missionaries to the Sinti Gypsies in Germany. And they're visiting out here on vacation and just found us on the, on the, they Googled us and found us here. And we're thankful they're here tonight. Hope you get a chance to greet them. And we're thankful for the good work that they're doing there in Germany. If you're new to the church tonight, we welcome you here this evening. We're glad you're here. Hope you received a visitor's packet on the way in. And we're praying that tonight's service be a blessing to you. Matthew 26 tonight, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Go with me to verse 36 tonight. Okay, what we'll do tonight, just because folks are making the way in, I'll read the even number verses. I'd like you to read the odd number verses. Is that okay? I'll read even, you read odd, all right? All together. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Congregation. And the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Congregation. He Not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Congregation 41. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, and he prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Congregation. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Congregation. Take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 46, I'll close. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he, he is at hand that doth betray me. Our Father, this evening, thank you for the reading of the Scriptures. The Bible says, Blessed is he that readeth. And uh, certainly, Lord, we want to give time and effort to reading your word, meditating on your word, studying your word, and letting it sink deeply in our hearts. Now, Father, you know this evening, God, in your great providence that there's a subject matter that we all need to grasp. Uh, for some, we need to renew. For many others, we need to perhaps embrace it as something we need to do in our lives. We pray this evening that the word of God would penetrate our hearts, give us a teachable heart, a spirit of meekness, whereby, Lord, as we receive that engrafted word, it will change our lives. We pray tonight we'll be different people and to change people because of what we hear. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start with a series of questions tonight. What area of your life do you give your undivided attention to for an entire one hour of time? What hour of the day do you give a devoted one hour to each day of the week? What time of the day do you consider the time 
for your energy and peak level to be your best. If you're like me, the morning hour is perhaps my best time. I don't, I'm not, I won't say that I, I, uh, I, I'm good at waking up, waking up on, on, on my own. I have to kind of hear the alarm about two times there, and the second time I get it there. But I do tell you, the moment I'm out of bed, I'm ready to go. And uh, for me, the morning hour is my best hour. My, my thoughts are clear. My mind is clear. Uh, I'm able to function a lot better. My energy is extremely high in the morning. I love the morning hours. That's I give myself to study and prayer in the morning. I try to do a lot of sermon preparation at that time. I try to not to do any kind of people type work until probably after 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, if I do exercise, if I can fit it in on that particular morning, that's the time I like to do that. I don't know about you. Some of you might be evening people. Some of you might be night owls, and that's what you thrive in, and praise God for that. But the thought today or tonight is, is there a particular time of the day? Is there one dedicated hour every day that is special and important to you. Maybe you segmentize your day where you have several one-hour periods of time that are very important to you. Maybe time with your spouse, time with your children, whatever it may be, but special times there. And uh, tonight we're looking at something very similar. I want you to notice in chapter 26 of Matthew, and it comes by way of a question that Jesus asked Peter in verse 40. He said, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? And uh, some of you remember back in April, we, had, we were privileged to have Dr. Wayne Van Gelderen here as a part of our Spring Revival Conference. And during that time, Brother, Brother Van Gelderen challenged us greatly on one service about the importance of giving one hour a day to God in Bible and in prayer. And, of course, the emphasis being in prayer. I call that, that one hour, that if you're able to set that aside or more, I call that the hour of power. I call that the time when your spiritual battery is, is recharged. I call that the time when you have a fresh infusion from God. I call that the time when if you're coming off a time of fasting where you're rejuvenated again and strengthened by the Spirit of God. It is, also, it is the time that is the most important for the Christian life. Is that one hour a day that we give to the Lord. And I want you to notice in our passage today... Now, Jesus comes to Peter, and uh, specifically, and of course, James and John are next to him, and he asks them the question. He finds them sleeping, and he asks them, could you not at least give me one hour? Could you not give me one hour? It was the most critical moment in all of their lives, and they couldn't give Jesus one hour. And I want you to see with me tonight the importance of that hour of power. Notice if you have your outline tonight some things in our study. First of all, let's start with verse 35 and looking at the fact we see a, dis a disciple that's conceited. A disciple conceited. The Bible says here in verse 35, Peter saith unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. Here in verse 35, leading into verse 31 to 35, we find that Jesus is in the, is in the, uh, has left the, uh, the, the last supper. They've left the upper room. They've traveled a, a little bit of a walking distance there to the Mount of Olives and specifically to an area called Gethsemane. And uh, leading up to that, during that time in the, in the upper room, Jesus was speaking to these men. And he told them very frankly that he was praying for them. He told Peter in verse 32 that he was praying for him, or 31 that he was praying for him, or, some, uh, that, or earlier than that, that he was praying for him that his faith would not, would not wither. And, um, and then you notice here as they go on, Jesus announces them, verse 31, he says, all of you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered again. And the word offend is a very interesting word, because Jesus was telling them, all of you will be, you will be, be ashamed of me. All of you will be, if you would, at this place where you'll scatter and leave me, you'll deny any association with me. And of course, if you know your Bible, the word offended, as we've seen many times in studies, is the word scandalizo, where we get our word scandal from. And it has the idea of, of a stumbling block, 
It has the idea of someone tripping over something. It has the idea of someone being entrapped. And he's basically telling these disciples, You're gonna, tonight is going to be a critical moment for you. All of you will fall. You will stumble. You will fall. You'll be tripped up. And of course, they were kind of amazed that Jesus would even tell them that they would... Um, they would, not, they would deny him and be ashamed of him. And so they were all telling him, no, we won't do such a thing. And then Peter, as the spokesman, got out. And you know the story there in verses 33 to 35. And he said, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. He said, Jesus, I just want you to know that I'm going to follow you even to death. He said, man, I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I'm a loyal disciple. I'm a loyal man for you there. I wouldn't do anything of that nature in, in, in denying you. And Jesus told him in verse 35, he said, he said to Peter, he said, Peter, even though you said you're going to die with me, in verse 34, 35, he says, tonight, you're going to deny me three times, and then the cock will crow, and then you'll remember your words. Here's Peter boasting. In a conceited matter, I'll never deny you. I want everybody to know about my association with you. I want to ask you a question tonight. Like Peter, have you ever made a public decision that you later fell back on, that you didn't keep? Have you ever made a promise to Jesus in private that you wound up not keeping? And of course, Peter at that moment, he's surrounded by the 11, the other 10, excuse me, Judas is gone. Jesus is there. The morale is high. The motivation's high. They're very alarmed that Jesus would even suggest that they would deny him. But yet there at that moment, Peter, instead of having a humble heart and saying, God, why, Lord, why do you even think such a matter? Would I even do such a thing? Lord, is that even, that, tell me why you think I would do that. Instead of having that kind of a heart, Peter vehemently denies what Jesus says there. And notice he says in verse 35, though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. He was being, if you would, a disciple that's conceited. He was saying in a braggadocious way, Jesus, I would never deny you. I would never turn against you there. It's a proud man way of saying, I'm going to get one up on somebody else here. Notice in, in, in Matthew 26, 12, notice if you would in, in, um, in Matthew, uh, Proverbs 26, 12, it says this, seest thou man wise in his own conceit, there's more hope of a fool than of him. Romans 12, 16 says, be of the same mind one to another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Conceitedness is when out of our pride, we, we're boastful about something and we're bragging with our mouth and saying, I would never do such a thing. Or look at me, I did such and such a thing. And in that moment there with the other 10 around him and Jesus there. But Peter is this disciple who's extremely conceited in his attitude. He could never imagine that he would deny the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the setting for our story tonight. We have a disciple, and then the others chimed in with him. We have 10, 11 disciples who are saying, Jesus, we would never deny you. And yet I think as we apply it to our lives tonight, I wonder how many of us are at the place of our life where we know decisions are important for our lives, and we know decisions are markers for our lives, and decisions are critical for us to grow in Jesus Christ. And yet how many of us have made decisions maybe in a camp setting or revival setting or Sunday morning setting or Sunday night setting or maybe you're one of our young people perhaps in a club fellowship setting or at a Bible study you've made a decision but you have yet to keep that, that promise you have yet to keep that oath and you find yourself saying well you know as far as public, the public is concerned I would never do such a thing but yet in reality you really haven't kept it there we see a disciple conceited but let's go a little bit further notice we see the darkness of conflict Verses 36 to 46, we see one of the, most, the most difficult moment of Jesus' life up before he gets to the cross. We see Jesus in the darkness of conflict. 
conflict is when there's a battle, a clash, a warfare going on. Behind the scenes, there's darkness battling with light. The angels of God battling with the demons of hell. We are also in a spiritual warfare. Even though this is the Christmas season, the devil never rests. Amen? Even though it's the Christmas time, we have to remind ourselves that warfare is still going on. There are still those who are, who are suffering uh, spiritual battles and, and going through the defeat and things of that nature. They're all under attack at one time or the other. And the devil is working at full capacity to pull us into a temptation and to lead us into sin. There's not a waking moment when we're not under attack. We find here that Jesus was up in that upper room and he poured out his heart to these disciples and he instituted that last supper as he did so. He spoke and poured his heart out to these men. In John chapter 15, he talked about the importance of abiding in him and bearing fruit in their lives. And, and, and then as we go from there, John 16, he talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about conflict they would have in this world and the importance of having the peace of God in their heart. Now they're at this place. They've left, they've left that, that upper room and they've made their way to the place of Gethsemane. I want you to get a glimpse with me the as we look at this place of conflict and the darkness of conflict, how that creates the setting for our topic tonight. How that creates the setting there. They've gone from this braggadocious a disciple who said he would never deny Jesus Christ. And now they're in this place where James, John, and Peter, who said he would never deny Lord Jesus Christ, are taken by Jesus up there into this area called Gethsemane. Notice, first of all, the place of this conflict. The Bible says in verse 36, Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and he saith to the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. It's interesting, Matthew, Mark, call our attention to the exact location, Gethsemane, which means the oppressing of oil. We go over there to Luke, and Luke tells us it's the Mount of Olives. Mark and Matthew want us to know specifically the location, spot where Jesus was, and perhaps in the backdrop there, after its own name, there were oil presses that were there where, where olives were taken and would be run under that press and they would be squeezed and all the juice would be squeezed out, the oil would be squeezed out of that. It's giving a symbolic idea of the intense amount of trial and affliction the Lord Jesus Christ would go through. Notice the place of affliction. Jesus is at this place which represents where his trial would happen and things would unfold in his life. We see the place of, the, of distress. But notice we see the pressure of this conflict. Notice verses 37 to 38. He tells the disciples, he tells, there's 11 of them, and he tells, he tells eight of them, he says, I want you to sit here while I go and pray yonder. So he did so, I can imagine. He tells the eight to sit down, and he, does, so he looks at Peter, James, and John. He just looks at those three, and they'd been with him before on the Mount of Transfiguration. They'd been with him before in homes where he healed people. And he took those three, and he said, I want you to come with me. Notice verse 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And the Bible describes the situation. He began to be sorrowful, very heavy. Verse 38 goes on by saying, Jesus describing what was going on inside of his heart. My soul is exceeding sorrowful. Sorrowful here means more than just the idea of grief. It's the idea of more than just someone passing and we're sorrowing over that loss. With the addition of sorrowfulness and heaviness and exceeding sorrowful, is talking about the fact that Jesus was in under an incredible amount of duress. You see, Jesus, we read verse 37 and 38 and 39. Jesus was going through that moment when you and I go through when we were very, very stressed out. We're going under the press. 
In fact, he described it this way. He said um, in verse 38, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. He says, I'm at a place, I feel like I'm going to die from the circus. Have you ever said that before? I feel like I'm in a place where I feel like I'm just going to die right here. Jesus experienced right there that moment what every one of his experiences at our lowest point, our deepest need, our hardest sorrow, our most difficult moment, a place where we're just feeling extreme amount of stress. We're not able to think very clearly where the sleep has gone away from us. There's no hunger in our in our stomach. We have no desire for anything except to deal with this particular situation. And all we can think of is that I don't see any way out of this. I just feel like I'm going to die right here at this moment in time. One of the Bible says he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He felt what mortal man feels when he knows death is coming. He felt at that moment in time a loneliness that's indescribable. He looks into the three, and he says, well, he's going to that, tarry you here and watch me. And I want you to understand, as Jesus enters this place, as he comes to this moment, he's about to pray. This location of Gethsemane. And elsewhere in Scripture, it describes as he ventured off from the three, he was about a stone's throw away from them, so it wasn't very far away. And there, Jesus described the feeling he was going through before he even got there. You see, Jesus knew because he was God, he knew that his hour had come. Leading up to that moment, he says, my hour has not come. But he knew his hour had come. Everything else was a priority, but not as a high priority as that moment. The priority of that moment was that he was going to give his life as a ransom for sinners. That moment in time, he would be the sacrifice for sinners killed on that cross. And he could feel the intensity of that moment, the pressure of that moment of understanding what it means to die, what it means to be on death row, what it means to know that there's no way out, there's no other way, that God's will has to be done by Jesus going to the cross. What a lot of pressure. And you imagine someone going through that kind of duress just written all over their face. It's seen through the distraction in their, in their face, the grimace in their face, the tenor in their voice. He's feeling pressure. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You're going through pressure. Nobody knows but you and God. Notice in verse 39, we see the place, the pressure conflict. But you notice verse 39, the prayer while he's in this conflict. I find that when we're under a lot of pressure, There are times it's very hard to articulate to God exactly how you feel. That's why I'm thankful God's given us Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Amen? The Spirit of God makes groanings for us which cannot be uttered, but sometimes we just don't know how to articulate how we feel. Sometimes I have somebody make an appointment to see me, and they're really burdened. They've just got a lot of things going on. You can feel like the world's upside down. The carpet's pulled out from under them, and they feel like they're spiraling down with no bottom. I say, how can I help you? And they'll say something like this, I don't even know where to begin. I don't have the words to describe where I'm at. What you notice, Jesus is praying in verse 39. Please don't miss this. The three is told to tarry for him and watch. Be vigilant. Keep your eyes open. Be careful. Be careful, Satan, who's lurking in the background. Just moments before, he says, Simon, Simon, I pray for thee that thy faith fail not. Be watchful. Verse 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed. 
did what you and I do when we're filled with pressure and overwhelmed, hurting inside. We fall on our faces. God, I've got nowhere else to go. I have nowhere else to turn to. I feel like David, no man cared for my soul. The Bible says he fell on his face, and the Bible basically said he prayed. He poured out his heart to God the Father. Notice how he prayed and what he prayed for. Notice he prayed for withdrawal. He said, my, he said, oh, Father, oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. You know, you get diagnosed with serious illness. You're told you're in a dire circumstance. You know how you and I pray? Lord, please take it away. Lord, take this cancer away. Lord, heal this person of this situation. That's how Jesus was praying. He could identify their feelings and infirmities. He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. The cup was a, was a picture of the wrath of God. Lord, take it away. He prayed the problem would go away. I mean, that's what we pray, don't we? Don't you pray that sometimes? You just say, Lord, take the problem away. Very few Christians have enough Christian in them to say, Lord, thank you for the problem, and I'll, I'll take whatever you want to give me. No, really, the truth of the matter is we feel the pressure. We feel the pain. Our mind goes out of control. We think the worst thoughts possible could happen. So we say something like this, God, if you can, just take it away. Take it away. He asked, for, he asked God to withdraw the problem. Like us, humanly, he wanted out. Prayed for withdrawal, but notice verse 39. He prayed for the will of God. Oh, my Father, be possible. Let this cup pass from me. Take it away. Nevertheless, that's a key word here. Not my will, but as thou wilt. In the midst of all the pressure, Yes, Lord, please take away the trouble. Please take away the trial. Please, Lord, don't let me have to suffer. Please, Lord, I don't want to have to go to the cross. And that's how Jesus felt. But not as my will, but as thou will. Lord, I'm not sure if that's the right thing, but Lord, may your perfect will be done. Do we pray that? Please understand as we look at this, as we work through the scriptures here, Jesus is praying for at least one hour. He's praying for withdrawal. He's praying for the will of God. Notice Hebrews 5, if you would, with me, please. Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 8, give us some commentary and insight about how Jesus was praying and what this, this praying did for him. Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 8 says this. Who in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, that's right here, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save from death and was heard in that he feared. Notice verse 8, though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered. You know, we talk about the obedient Christian life and being obedient, but the truth of the matter is there's a lot of rebellion in all of us, amen? There's a lot of just pushback we give to God. and Maybe a lot of us are like Peter. There's a partial obedience every now and then. We, we're with God halfway where we're pleased, but there's the other half where we're not, we're not with God. And so we want God to take it away. And a lot of times God puts us through the oil press and God puts us through the time of suffering that we might learn obedience. That we might learn to say, yes, Lord. Then we might learn to pray in accordance with his will. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. He was praying for, God, for God's will to be done, but he was resting through this. He was working through that. And the Bible says in Hebrews 5, 8, though he were a son, listen, he could have called 10,000 angels, amen? But though he were a son, 
yet learn the obedience of things which you suffered. I mean, just throwing this tonight, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. But the trial of your faith would work patience in your life. And we see that God is something he's working out in our lives through that moment in time of suffering to teach us maybe there's an area where we're not as obedient to God as we need to be. He prayed for withdrawal. He prayed for the will of God. But notice something else here. He prayed and he wrestled. Luke chapter 22, he gives us some insight of how Jesus prayed. Every time I read this, I can't help but pause try to go back in time and think with my mind just exactly what was going on there. Verse 43 says, There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And would you notice verse 44, being in agony, I mean, he's in great intensity. He prayed more earnestly. The pressure was increasing. The negative thoughts from the devil were increasing. The moments were ticking by, and he's getting closer to that hour in which he'd be crucified. The Bible says that being in great agony, he prayed more earnestly. Let me remind you tonight, when we're going through trouble and with trials and difficulties that God sends away, he wants us to pray more, and then he wants to pray more earnestly. And praying earnestly, he's wrestling in his praying. His praying was like Epaphras who wrestled with God for the saints at Colossae. It says in verse 44, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. I don't know about you, but that's pretty intense. Amen. Drops of sweat dropping like blood off his forehead. Somebody saw it. Somebody saw it. It's recorded in Luke. Strong cries and prayers with supplication. Jesus is in the darkness of conflict. Well, this is all going on. There's a lesson he wants Peter, James, and John to learn, and James, Peter especially. Jesus is going through his difficulty, and while he's going through his difficulty, there was something that he wanted these disciples to learn. Listen, Jesus spent almost three years mentoring these men. Jesus spent three years doing miracles. Jesus spent three years preaching and teaching. He did a lot of marvelous things, but that wasn't the priority of that hour. It was things that would happen, but it wasn't priority of that hour. The priority of that hour is his preparation for the cross. The priority of that hour was the fact that he was going to die for the sins of the whole world. And he felt that pressure. He felt that intensity laying upon his very soul that he would die for the sins of all the world. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine such pressure on a 33-year-old man feeling the pressure that he's going to die for the sins of all the world? It's indescribable that none of the disciples could fathom that. And while this is all going on, notice Jesus wants to give these men a discerning command. Because through all of this, there was a lesson they, wanted, they needed to learn. But this lesson would be by way of a command. What Jesus is going to teach these men and teach you and I is not something that was an option to be considered. It was a command to be obeyed. Verse 40 says, He cometh unto the disciples finding them asleep. As we read this passage, he's been praying for one hour. Wouldn't you have liked to have been with Jesus when he prayed? 
Wouldn't you have liked to have heard the words that came off his lips? Wouldn't you have liked to have just even opened one eye and watched as the sweat drops were coming down? What a lesson on prayer. Before he went to prayer, he told those three, stay here, watch, keep your eyes open, be vigilant, know your surroundings, don't get taken by surprise, we're in a conflict. Notice verse 40, we see the disappointment. He cometh to the disciples and he findeth them asleep. They're asleep when they should have been watching. They're sleeping when they should have been vigilant. How many of us will he find sleeping when he comes for us? How many of us is he finding sleeping now, even as there's great urgency to do the work of God? How many of us are sleeping when we should be working? How many of God's people will he find in the wrong place doing the wrong things? And sadly, as we read this passage, we focus on the fact that Jesus repeated his prayer three times, and I'm led to believe if he prayed one hour the first time, if he repeated the same prayer, he probably prayed initial two hours, the other two times as well, there too. Very well, it could be very well, Jesus prayed a total of three hours during that time, and those disciples at those three different intervals, they were sleeping through that whole process. They were in a deep sleep. We see the disappointment. But you notice in verse 40, we see a doctrine And imagine as he saw them asleep, there was a pause. He looked at them as only Jesus could. He wasn't angry, but he was disappointed. They're sleeping. Not to add humor to it, but they're probably snoring away. And imagine only Jesus could. He probably paused and hesitated, looked at them. And though the scripture doesn't record it, maybe there was a heavy... They didn't get it. They didn't get it. Been you and me, we would have probably blown a fuse. What? What? Could you not watch with me? One hour? not an option. Jesus gave himself to praying one hour. In this doctrine, prayer is a major doctrine scripture. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're to spend time with God. The very word for prayer, prosukumai, has the idea of begging, earnestly praying, Entering into, the, entering into the holy, all these places with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and meeting with God and realizing we don't even know where we're at when we're praying. Would you notice in this question we see a minimum requirement? Could you not watch me one hour? You could have said five minutes, amen? That's kind of the baseline of most Christians. You could have said ten minutes. Could have said 30 minutes. No, he, our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 40 is telling us there's a minimum requirement in this doctrine. Could you not watch in one hour? 
only gives us a minimum requirement, but you notice he's teaching some major reality. Jesus has been battling with the powers of hell for one hour. On one end, he starts off by saying, take this cup away from me. He wanted to withdraw. On the other hand, he says, but not my will, but thy will. He's praying for God's will to be done. And then Luke adds a commentary. He says, he wrestled with God. He was praying and he was wrestling. He was just engaged in spiritual conflict. He was kind of like Epaphras who agonized in his prayers. He wrestled with God in prayer for the saints at Colossae and Laodicea and, uh, and if you would, uh, in Hierapolis there. And Jesus is wrestling there in prayer. He's praying for many, many things. He's praying for the disciples that their faith will not fail. He's praying for power to energize them, help them as he gets ready for the cross. There is a minimum requirement. There's a major reality. Listen, the reality is this. We must give ourselves one hour to prayer to fortify and equip our spirit against the failures of the flesh. You read this passage, God sent a benchmark there for our lives. Minimum requirement. Major reality. Notice a mandated reservation. What hour doing What? One hour with who? Look at verse 4 again. What? Could you not watch? Notice the two words. With me? Do you understand we're going to prayer with Jesus? Amen? You're going to prayer. You're in the presence of God. You're with the Lord in prayer. You're with God in the heavenlies. You're with God in, at the throne of grace. Thank God it's the throne of grace, not a throne of justice. Amen? And we're there. He says, could you not watch with me for one hour with me? There's a mandate of reservation. There's a requirement of setting aside the time and the place. We're going to meet with God and keep our promise of God. I'm going to meet with you today. I'm going to meet you right in this spot. God, I'm just going to come to be with you there. We see this doctrine that Jesus is establishing for three dreary, sleepy, weary disciples who were, their eyes were heavy. They had fallen asleep. They had succumbed to the flesh and let the flesh take control. Notice in verse 41, Jesus gives them a directive. Their eyes are just starting to open up. Their eyes are open. They realize it's dark out here. They see a figure that's recognizable. The figure is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their eyes are riveted on Jesus in verse 41. He gives them a directive about this praying. He goes more than just saying, watch with me and tarry with me. He says, watch and pray. Discerning command. If we're going to mate it. We're going to get to the next level. We're going to have a, we're going to have a, a year that's going to, 2019, it's going to surpass 2018. We're going to have a victorious Christian life. We're going to win over some sin. We're going to win over some habit. We're going to win over the sins of the spirit or sin of the flesh. Listen, the requirement is we need to watch and pray. Now, what does watching mean? Well, the two go hand in hand. They don't go, they're, not, they're, they're, not, they're not inseparable. But watching has the idea of a watchman on a wall or a tower keeping vision guard over a city from attack by the enemy. I mean, we need to be vigilant over our soul. We need to wake up every morning and go to bed every night with one eye open, always watching over the care and need of our soul. Listen, nobody should care for your soul more than you should care for your soul. Amen. They got your pastor cares for your soul. And they got pastor prays for your soul. But I'm going to tell you tonight, nobody's going to care for your soul in this room more than you should care for your own soul. 
And these three men, Peter and foremost, who just moments before, one hour before Jesus, I would never deny you. Jesus, I will die. I'll die for you. And I still won't deny you. He said, let him come. I'll never deny you. Here's this disciple has fallen asleep at the switch at the very moment of time. He needed to be awake. He needed to be watching. Are you watching? Are you watching the eastern sky? Are you watching for the signs? Are you watching for the next movement? Are you watching for the next promise? Are you watching what God wants you to do? Are you watching? Are you watching what the preacher is going to say we're going to do in 2019? Are you watching? And then he says, we need to pray. The enemy comes in camouflage. The enemy comes when we least expect them to come. Do you know the enemy has a tendency to come at the tail end of the watch when we're tired and weary? We're, that's the time we're going to let down our guard the most. I remind you right now as we go to the holidays, this is the time we can let down our guard the most. I'm getting caught up with all the festivities. I'm not telling you not to get, be involved with them. I'm just saying that's when the enemy comes. We must watch after every success. We must watch when we're going through sorrow like Jesus was going through. We must watch when we're sleeping. We must watch because we sin. He said, watch and pray. Simple directive, three words, watch and pray. Look out, then pray. Watch and pray. Our praying must be everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath, without doubting. Our praying must be like a volley of arrows that were or aimed at the enemy. Our praying must be continuous. Our praying must be without ceasing. Our praying must be as Paul described, our, our hearts are large and our mouth is open unto you. But you notice we close tonight, we see the defense of conservation. It concludes that in verse 41 by saying this. Watch and pray that you enter not to temptation. The hour of temptation was there. We know how the story is going to end, but they didn't at that moment. We know how this is going to unfold, don't we? And we're quick to criticize Peter, but I'll be honest with you, if you didn't know how the story was going to end, what would you think about Peter? He's watching pray as he entered temptation. Now, when he told them that, that wasn't the first time. Then he repeated a second time. Then he repeated a third time. By the third time, it was too late. He called once, he called twice. Third time, their barley fields were set on fire. He told them that third time, and it was too late. He said it the third time, verse 46, Rise and let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Now you're going to see how strong your faith really is. Now you'll see how courageous you really are. Now you'll find out what you really are, what you're made out of there. Notice verse 41, he says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Notice this, the spirit indeed is willing. Now God gives us credit. He knows deep down inside of us we really want to live for God. And deep down inside of us, he knows we really want to pray. And deep down inside of us, he knows we really want to be victorious. And deep down inside, he knows that we, we really want to exercise faith. And deep down inside, he knows that we, we, we want to do the best we can for God. He said the spirit indeed is willing. I'll say tonight, every single person here this evening, our spirit is willing. But our flesh is weak. Put no confidence in the flesh. 
your flesh will fail you. Your flesh will let you down. Your flesh will break the agreement. That your flesh will not keep the oath. Your flesh is why we don't keep our promises. Your flesh is why we, we, don't, we don't fulfill what we told God we would do. Oh God, I'll dedicate my life. But did you live for God? Oh God, I'll, I'll surrender my life to preach. And you did, maybe at a camp. But you're not preaching. Oh God, I promise I'll be more involved in this particular ministry of the church. But you're not there. And we go back to verse 40. And Jesus is talking about the hour of power. What if? What if? What if? This was a different script. If Peter had given them one hour. If James and John had given them one hour, what if? Just what if you gave an hour a day in prayer? Just what if? You gave an hour concentrated in real prayer. Where even as you prayed, you didn't even know the time went by. No matter how busy you are, you gave that hour in prayer. No matter what's going on in your life, you gave that hour in prayer. You made the time for God. What if you gave that time? What would happen? Listen, I may give you some suggestions tonight. One hour of prayer will help us when temptation comes. One hour of prayer keeps the defensive walls strengthened and fortified. One hour of prayer fortifies our willpower. One hour of prayer changes our heart and spirit. Listen, why won't that person change? One hour will change that. One hour will change that. One hour of prayer draws us closer to God. One hour of prayer gives us, one hour of prayer gives us the mind of God. One hour of prayer, as we saw earlier, is a minimum. One hour of prayer bathes what and who we pray for with God's blessing and power. And one hour of prayer makes the difference of prayers answered, prayers not being answered. One hour of prayer makes the difference of a church going or church stopping. One hour of prayer makes the difference of souls being saved, souls not being saved. One hour of prayer makes the difference does missions go forward or missions go backward. I'm telling you tonight, Jesus gave us a command and a directive. One hour of prayer. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? When our prayer by members of the church builds a strong and healthy church. And by the way, I'm talking about praying to God, not praying to yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? Amen? When our God in prayer is our best offense and defense, in all kinds of temptations, all kinds of sins, and all kinds of difficulties. Sometimes we pray for God to change people. You know, one hour prayer will do more to change you than it will change the other person. I want to change the church. You want to change the church? One hour of prayer will change the church for God's glory. One hour of God, with God in prayer, makes the difference if the seats are full or seats are not full. One hour of God, with God in prayer, makes the determination how soon we'll get that debt paid off on the Berean Center. One hour of prayer will demonstrate whether or not we're serious in reaching this area for Christ and getting busy for God and not just giving our bare minimum but going beyond it. Listen, the bare minimum is that one hour that God asked for there. You can give your effort, work hard you can, that's good. But one hour prayers are defensive conservation. You say, well, Pastor, I understand that. What about the whole armor of God? I thought if I put the whole armor of God, they'll take care of me. It does. Our loins girt with truth, the breastplate of righteousness upon us, our feet shot with the gospel of peace. Listen, you want to battle Satan, you just go, go put your gospel, gospel shoes on, go tell people about Jesus. Amen. Put the helmet of salvation on your head. 
shield of faith in your left hand to absorb and take on the fiery darts of Satan, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God in your right hand. But notice verse 18 of Ephesians 6, we are to bind each piece with prayer and supplication in the Spirit for all saints. Still the importance of prayer. And I know you pray. And I know many of our church decisions were made back in April to give them one hour. But maybe tonight there's a couple things as we close. Maybe some need to renew that time. Maybe something's interrupted or interfered with you. You need to renew that time. And start right now to prepare yourself <clears throat> for a fruitful 2019 of that one hour a day. And for some, maybe you've yet to start because maybe you never knew about this. And I will tell you this morning, this evening, sometimes we think about what's the baseline where I can start at. Listen, the baseline of the Christian life is your walk with God. That baseline with God begins with just learning how to get hold of God. One hour with the Lord. And one hour alone with God. As we close tonight, do you have that hour of power? When is your hour of power? Do you have that hour of power? Are you with God? Is the power coming down? Is there a difference? We get a little closer to the new year as we talk about 2018 and retrospect, 2019 going forward. I'm excited to tell you a lot of things God did this year. A lot of things God's done this year. A lot of things this past Sunday, God this, this past Sunday did answers to prayer. A lot of things God's doing day in and day out. He's answered prayer for His glory, not for ours. By the way, whether what we deem is bad is sometimes is good for God. We may think it's evil, but with God it's always good. Do you have an hour of power? Do you have a time that's marked, reserved? You know that prayer closet, you close the door. You meet with God for purifying and for protection. Power. Did you start and then quit? And did you quit and try to start again? And end tonight by looking at verse 40. How are you going to answer that question? Could you not walk, watch with me one hour? Could you not watch with me one hour? The hour of power. The difference maker of your life. Our Father, this evening, as we take a moment, greatest struggle, greatest difficulty we face as believers is recognizing an hour for power, an hour with God. Completely devoted, undistracted, set apart. And Father, tonight as the challenge is given, perhaps at times we're like Peter, who was a disciple, conceited. In public, we want to conceitedly boast about what we say we will do or won't do. And then we enter into a darkness of conflict like Jesus did. And there at that moment, Jesus was modeling for those three men how to pray during that hour of power. 
and they slept right through it. And our Lord gives them that discerning command. He tells them the doctrine of prayer, the directive in that praying. Father, I pray that you create a great longing, a great desire for an hour for power. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I can ask you to do something tonight. Do it for yourself, all over the room. Would you take a moment with me? And together, we'll, may we humble ourselves before God. And catch the heartbeat of the Savior. Could you not watch with me? With one hour. For some, there needs to be a starting point. For some, there needs to be a renewal. For others, it's with a trembling heart and the fear of God saying, Lord, don't let me lose this hour. Would you come with me tonight and find your place at the altar of God to give yourself to an hour for power? Would you do that in just a moment? Would you find your place tonight and say, God, this is important was important that Jesus told these men and maybe we've been sleeping through this it's time to wake up and let the Lord work our father this evening now